I was just thinking about during worship, that last song of thinking about this day where Christians worship the Lord and celebrate his resurrection all around the world. And just thinking about, you know, different time zones and different parts and different continents in Africa and Europe and Asia, how there's just a, a ripple all across our, our world today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to celebrate hope, to celebrate the excitement, to celebrate eternal life and all that we have, to be able to celebrate that this is the day that God gave us victory over sin and death and Satan. Come on, can I get some noise here this morning? Isn't that awesome? Now, that's why I just love the feel of Easter, because it's a big, massive celebration, and it's a celebration that Jesus has won, and he's won that victory for us. And I think about it just in terms that Christmas, uh, in, in the terms of using war terms, Christmas is the invasion. When Jesus landed on this earth, not, a, not so much on a beach, but in a dirty, nasty manger in a barn, that was the invasion of God establishing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's an exciting day, and we celebrate that invasion where the kingdom of God came on this in, in, on enemy-occupied territory called earth, and it was a start of God's kingdom here on earth. And as a lot of you guys know, I use this language because I am just fascinated uh, with, with war history, fascinated with just war strategy, uh, that I, I just draw so many parallels to our, our Christian walk and what the Bible writes about uh, when it comes to this and just in the natural. And so anytime I get a chance to be able to dig into this or watch a, a war documentary, usually it's when my wife falls asleep. That's when I get permission. Uh, before that, I, ha I cannot watch war movies. But when she falls asleep, game on. World War II movies, here we go. Uh, and I just pray that she stays asleep. Uh, but so we just got back from a vacation in Florida with uh, some of my favorite people, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and they're joining us here this morning. And we actually, they're, yeah, they're awesome. We love them. They love the Lord so much. It's been a blessing to be married into this family, uh, for uh, this godly family. I'm so thankful for that. But uh, there was a rainy day, so we decided to go to a war museum. Uh, and it was the Air Force Museum. Here's some pictures here. Uh, man, we were, as you can tell, I love that picture up in the right-hand corner. This is a guy's day out right here. Man, that's a big plane. Man, look at that wing. That's a big plane. You know, that's a stereotypical guy. Sorry, Bob, I'm going to throw you on the bus a little bit. But we were, we were like that just all day long, just looking at these amazing planes and uh, all these different bombs. There was all these guns. I mean, it was just, it was fascinating. And again, the reason why I love just studying different wars and, and the strategies of war, because I draw so many parallels to what God is wanting to do here on earth, that he has a mission, and that is to bring about his kingdom here on earth, to push back the kingdom of darkness and to establish his kingdom here. And so there, there's, this, there's a strategy behind that. There's there's a, a, a move behind that. And so Christmas marks the invasion. It's our Normandy. Easter is our victory day. It's V-Day. It marks the defeat of our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And every year we get to celebrate our V-Day, the day that Christ brought us our victory. Amen? And so every year we, we remember the day when we were liberated. We remember Good Friday as the day that Jesus went to the cross and was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. 
we remember at three o'clock in the afternoon, he was put in the tomb. The Lamb of God was put in the tomb. And then we remember Sunday morning when everyone, I, I, just, I was just thinking about this and talking to my kids about this last night. Do you imagine how sad the disciples must have been? Here their best friend, their savior, the hope is dead. And you remember, a lot of them didn't understand what was going on. They, when Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to die, they're like, woohoo, uh, can you get us more bread? Uh, hey, I'm going to die. Hey, could you do another miracle? I mean, they didn't really understand the, the fullness of what he was about to do. But it was Sunday morning that it all came together for the disciples. In Matthew 28, 1, it says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. I love that phrase, as the new day was dawning. How many of you guys need a new day dawning in your life? That new day, that fresh start where there's hope. It says this, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The woman ran, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This event, it marks that victory over Satan and sin and death. I got a question for you this morning. Would it be safe to say that everyone in this room and watching online here this morning would say that they hate death? Isn't it, isn't it safe to say that death is a foe? We, we hate death. We, we can't stand what it does. And the Bible describes death as an enemy. The Bible says that the last enemy to be defeated is death on Jesus' second coming. He's coming back again, church. And we're, we're to be alert. We're to be vigilant because he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, the Bible describes that he's going to finally, once and for all, defeat our last enemy, death. And it's going to be over. There's going to be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. When he comes back a second time, I think sometimes we, get, we can get scared of Jesus' second coming. Actually, it's the exact opposite. We celebrate the second coming because it's the end of Satan's rule and reign anywhere on the face of this earth. And Jesus then will reign over all the earth and establish his kingdom fully on the earth. And we actually get to be part of that here on earth. We get to have that be, and, and partake in that. And so I think when we hear that somebody has defeated death, it's awesome. We celebrate that. When you hear of someone being raised from the dead, when you read Bible stories of people being raised from the dead, we celebrate that, don't we? It's exciting. There's victory over death. Victory doesn't have the last say. And you guys realize that even around the world today, there's still people being raised from the dead in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. It's still happening. Jesus actually commanded us to go and to raise from the dead, cast out demons, raise those from the dead, be able to preach the gospel of the kingdom, Invite people into the kingdom. 
And when I think of what's really going on in our world today, what's really behind this COVID-19, why is it such a big deal? Why, why is it so just consuming of everything? Isn't it death? Isn't death the enemy behind this? People scared of dying, and right, rightfully so. I mean, that, that, to see that there's all these people that are dying, the reason why all of us have our opinions about this is because we're wanting to stay alive, and that's actually a good thing. But that's what's behind all this, church. It's death. It's the enemy of death. That's why we, we, this has been such a big deal. And it's not just a physical death. It's also death of dreams and expectations. And you ready for this last one? A way of life. I see the frustration. I have been very frustrated in the death of a way of life that I've liked. Uh, the freedoms that I have liked. Being able to kind of do, do my own thing to some degree. And to have that restricted, it's a death of a way of life. And, it, and that's what makes us so upset. But here's the message of Easter. You ready? We have been liberated from these enemies. We've been liberated from death. We've been liberated from sin. We've been liberated from Satan. We've been liberated for that fear. We've been liberated. We're set free. But I think so many of us and so many people think of Easter as this historical event or some future event that this life is horrible, but once it's going to come to an end and I'm going to be able to be in paradise with Jesus forever and that's going to be great. And although both these statements are true, it is true that it, ha it is a historical event, it is a future event, but Easter isn't just an event, it's a present experience. It's meant for the now. It's meant for today. It's meant that Easter's never supposed to get, get cold or, or, or grow boring or be this religious thing, that motion that we go through. Easter is meant that we would live it out and experience the, the victory of Easter every day. That we experience the reality of Easter every day. That our victory is secured in Christ. Jesus came as our liberator for us to experience freedom right now. He came as that liberator. This is what we're celebrating today. The resurrection power that has liberated us. Not, not for then, not even for later, but right now. Right now. So what have we been liberated from? There's three things that I want to share here this morning. The three things that we've been liberated from. And the first one is the fear of death being the end. This one's strong, isn't it? I honestly have a hard time seeing how people can live with this uncertainty. I, have to t I, I try to take myself back before I was being a Christian, before I was a Christian, of thinking about what it was like to be uncertain about my future, to be uncertain about where I would go and having these, am I just like a bubble of gas that floats around and haunts people after this, you know, and stays on this earth? Am, am, I, am I a bubble of gas that just floats in heaven, you know, like Casper the ghost? And, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Do I just rot in the ground? It's over. Life's done. I had those questions. And what provoked it for me was that I had three funerals of classmates in a matter of months, my sophomore year of high school. And it shook me to my core because it made me have to come face to face with my own mortality. And death was no longer just for those that had lived a full life of 85 to 90. Death became right in my backyard. My, 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 my peers, the people that I went to school with, dying, going to their funeral and seeing them 
in the casket, it made me have to think about my own mortality. If they could die that young, how couldn't I? I was terrified of getting in a car accident and dying. I was, I was scared of getting a strange disease and dying. And it put me on this quest, this search, to find out if there really was a God, what his name was, and if there really was a heaven and a hell. And I found out that it's all true. Jesus is the real deal. He is God. He is the Son of God. There is a Father in heaven who loves us deeply, as we sang about this morning. I found it all to be true. Shortly after these funerals, my childhood best friend died of cancer. And, that, and we, we played sports together. He was, he was way more athletic than I was. And it, I mean, we lived together for probably 10 years of our lives. And just like that, he's dead of cancer. And it shook me again to my core of, man, I better make this life count. I have no idea how long I have. See, death, death touched the youth around me. But yet I see something really beautiful in this Easter story. What I see is that when Jesus was resurrected, he was on the earth for 40 days afterwards, and he's showing himself to over 500 people. And that, what happened there, it changed the disciples. Something in, in that resurrection changed them. They went from these cowardly individuals who were hiding and Peter denying and, and, and Thomas doubting, all these all these individuals who are going through this trauma, and then all of a sudden, after the resurrection, they no longer are afraid of dying. In fact, they get beaten, and they start celebrating. They get imprisoned, and they cheer because they get to suffer with Christ. Paul, the apostle Paul, goes as far as sharing his soul and pouring out his heart, and he said, I don't really know what is better. I really would like to die and go home and be with God, but also, I'd like to stay here because it'd be, help you and be for your benefit. I'm torn between the two. That's weird. A guy who is torn and, and thinking it would be better for him to die and be with Jesus for eternity. I think that's so foreign. But, but here's my point. Death had no hold on him anymore. They would threaten the disciples with death. They're like, have at it. Go ahead and crucify me upside down. You know, it was just, it was wild. Death lost its sting for these disciples because they believed in the resurrection power and they believed what Jesus said. They believed when he said this in John eleven twenty five. 25. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I, I go to sleep here, I wake up there. I die here, I live there. To, to die is to gain because I get to live with him. And that says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Isn't that awesome? Death is not the end, which means death doesn't need to control our life anymore. It doesn't need to rule what our decisions, our thinking, our thoughts. It doesn't. And so let me ask you, do you believe and follow Jesus? Do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm reading here this morning? Do you believe the resurrection actually happened? And not just believe that he exists. This word's been watered down. But when it says in the Bible, believe, it meant put my trust in him. I'm going all in for G him. He, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. See, even Satan believes that Jesus exists. That's what the Bible says. But how many of you guys know Satan ain't following him? And his end is, is different. If this is true, if this is true for you, you don't have to fear death. When you die, you will live. 
When, when, when your last breath here, you get to wake up in eternity with him. Now, with this being said, I got to be honest with you. I catch myself in moments of fearing death. Having that thought, man, I hope I don't die young and leave my kids fatherless. I hope I don't get a strange disease or a strange cancer. I, I, hope, I, I hope I don't have this a heart attack or, or something. I, I hope that Kristen doesn't die. And that fear is real and it can grip me. Or, or have you ever had that where you, like, oh man, I got this pain here. Ooh, I hope that's not cancer. Am I getting real here this morning? You, get, you, have, you have a little pain in your head. You're like, oh gosh, I heard about uh, Aunt Susie. She had that pain and then she's dead three weeks later. You know, she, you ever have that? I do. And that fear can grip you, can it? Oh man, that person, I went to school with them and man, they were healthy as all, all get out. I mean, they were running marathons and then within a month, they're dead. They had blood clot in their leg and gone. You ever have those thoughts? I do. That fear of death. But let me remind you here this morning. Let me give you the comfort in which I have to run back to over and over. I have to get my eyes fixed back on Jesus. Believing that he said what he said is true. That I don't have to fear death because even if I die, it is life. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. That desire in you to never, ever want to die, it's a good desire. It's actually from God. He never designed us to die. He never designed it that way. So your desire to never want to die is really good. And the way that Jesus gave us a way for this to be possible is through believing in the resurrection, that he's a resurrection in life and believing him, following him, going all in for him. Death seems to be all around us. COVID-19 has elevated our awareness of death, hasn't it? It's a good thing that you want to live forever because Jesus has just a plan for you. And believing in him means that you can live forever. Amen. Can we give God praise here this morning? Just thank him for that. We thank him. Thank you, Jesus. I'll be afraid of dying. You've given me a way of life. It's awesome. Here's what else Jesus has liberated us from. And that is the bondage of sin. Sin no longer has to define us. It doesn't. I think so many times we can get caught in our minds. I'm just always going to struggle with this. I'm always going to be addicted to this. I can't get away from this. My grandpa had this and my dad had this and I'm, I'm just stuck in this. But I'm telling you here this morning, Jesus has liberated you from that. He's liberated us from that. Listen to this in Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph. Say triumph. triumph. Live in triumph. Triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life, life for everyone. Now, the phrase that stuck out to me when I was looking at this scripture and digging into it was this gift of righteousness. And for some reason, I hadn't caught that before. I've caught, you know, the gift of salvation and the gift of grace and uh, all these different gifts. But this gift of righteousness really jumped off the page at me. 
Because I think that so many times when, we, when people think of Christianity, they think of the super religious, self-righteous people. Like, I'm doing all these good things, and I'm following all the rules. Look at me. Look how hard I'm trying. Look what I'm doing this. Man, I'm good at this. Hey, you're not. You're, I saw your sin, but man, not me. That's what the Pharisees did. And I'm telling you, that's an empty route for righteousness. What Jesus always designed is that we would say, God, there's no righteousness in me, but I'd really love that gift, which means the gift isn't earned. It's just received. So you receive this gift of righteousness, this right living. And when you receive this gift of righteousness, the Bible says you become a victor over sin and death. So you're thinking, man, I still can't escape this. Ask God for more, more of this gift of righteousness. God, give me your gift of righteousness. I, I wear myself out trying to do this on my own. I wear myself out trying not to do these things. But gift of righteousness gives you the power to overcome those addictions, those bondages in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. For sin is a sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are free people here this morning. Come on, we are free people. We're free. We're free from the fear of death. We're free from the fear and the bondage of sin. We're free. We're free people. This is what we celebrate, victory. It's our V-Day, our V-Day. God set us free. This is our victory day where we're victorious over sin and death. Finally, we're also, we've been liberated to live a powerful life in Christ. Those first two, those are the bookmarkers, not having to fear our end, knowing that Christ has come to be able to set us free being able to be set free of that sin and living a sinful life. But now, what's the in-between? So I don't, have to, I don't have to be a bondage to sin. I don't have to fear death where I'm going to go. But what do I do in the meantime? Well, here it is. Live a powerful life in Christ. We can actually participate in God's kingdom here and be a force for good in this world. That's what our purpose is right now. That's, if you've got breath in your lungs today, if you're still alive, this is, what you were, this is why God has you on this earth today. It's to be a force for good in this world, to bring about more of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. The resurrection power closes the gap. It closes the gap between the life we're living and the life that we could live. It closes that gap that we no longer are slave to sin. We can forgive through the power of Jesus Christ. Easter isn't just a historical event we celebrate, but a life that we live daily. It's meant to be lived daily, this life, this freedom. But this is where it starts. Here's where it starts. This is ground zero, and that is getting close to Jesus. If we want this third one that I'm talking about, this resurrection power, it requires getting close to Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can come boldly. We can enter boldly. Heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, church, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. 
We sang about this here this morning. And if, if maybe you're wondering, like, what was the curtain have anything to do with this? Let me just give you a really quick background. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, they had a t- tabernacle and then they'd have a temple. And in that place, there was this curtain, and it was the most holy place. It was where his presence resided. It was only where the high priest could go and enter into. And if they didn't, they would, they would die. And they had to do all these sacrificial cleansings in order to be able to go into the most holy place. And people, most people didn't get to. Only the high priest, and even the high priest is a little scared because if he didn't do all the cleaning right and all the, 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 the different rituals that way, he's a dead man. And so here's, here's what happened when Jesus died. He said, I'm going to be the high priest and I'm going to go in and I'm going to be the lamb and I'm going to sacrifice my blood so that now the veil is torn and has opened it up so that everyone can enter into the most holy place whenever they want. I thought you'd be a little bit more excited about that. Which means... I don't have any more access in the most holy place than you do. We have the same access. There's no priest or high priest or that one person who's super holy that, man, he can go into the presence of God, but all of us other peons, we just wait until he comes out and tell us what God said. No, 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 you can go right in now. You get to go right in into his very presence and be close to him. And since we have a great high priest, there it is, who rules over God's house, that's Jesus. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You and I have the amazing opportunity and privilege through the blood of Jesus to be in his very presence. Now, last week when we were on vacation, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this thought, or I don't know if I was dreaming or whatever. I was, you, know, you know what that is. You know, you're kind of in between. And I really believe that it was the Lord uh, speaking to me. And I, I had this memory of when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, my family had this tradition of dying Easter eggs together. And it was a big deal. Anybody else have that tradition growing up to dying the Easter eggs? And, Man, it was so, it was this excitement in the air of getting close to Easter and dying Easter eggs. They're, they're gross, but candy's really good. So Easter eggs, man, I'm really close to the candy part. You know what I'm saying? That's what goes on in the kid's head. My, my head, right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, the older people are eating these nasty hard-boiled eggs. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's candy coming. Do you not realize this? <laughs> Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Let's have candy. <laughs> and so... I remember these times and my grandpa would come over and my grandpa, he'd get giddy about this. And my mom and my grandpa were, were the ones that just really drove this event and made it really special. And so for my grandpa, all of his grandkids around the table and, and he's helping them dye eggs. Oh, that's so beautiful, Kevin. Yeah, you mix that with every color. Yeah, that looks like mud. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, like, and as a kid, you're like, that's ugly. Grandpa's lying, you know, like. <laughs> And so these moments were just so precious for me growing up with the family in these, these times. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, how it ties in with the Lord. And I remember being a, a young kid and we, I, I had to, you know, you get the little thing with it, but we always did the spoons. And my, my, par- my mom would always talk about, you know, dip it in and it'll start getting more and more color. And so, you know, as a young kid, you're like, nothing changed. It's still white. 
come on. Well, this is, I want to go play video games, you know? She's like, no, 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 keep going. Keep going. Just keep on dipping it in. And every time you dip it in, it's going to get more and more brighter of that color in which you're dipping it into. And, you, and, you know, so for a kid, you know, I'm just like, okay, this is getting boring. Egg 10. What's, you know, and I'm just sitting there looking at it. Okay, there you go. Get her done. There you go. You know, and then you pull it out eventually. It's just that the longer you put it in there, the darker that color will be. And then you take it out and you would have just that beautiful, bright color, that blue egg. One of the things that I believe the Lord was speaking to me is that, Kevin, I want you to dip into my presence over and over and over and over. In fact, Kevin, if you want, you can just sit, sit in there. You just sit in there. Kevin, I want you to become so like me, my very presence, that when you come out, you'll be so shining bright for all the world to see. That when you come out, you will be like Moses. Who Remember the story of Moses? He went up on the mountaintop, got the Ten Commandments, was in the very presence of God, and he came down and his face was so bright that people couldn't even look at him. They asked him to cover his face. Now, we, we are in awe of that story, that one man, that out of these millions of people, one guy got to do that. Lucky guy. Guess what the good news this morning is? Every single one of us now get that Moses experience if we want it. That we can enter in and we can have that Moses experience where we're so in his presence and we're, we're dipping into his presence over and over and over that when we come out of his presence, we are transformed by his very presence and his power that we become the very resemblance of Jesus, Christians, Christ, little Christ walking around on this earth. And I'm telling you, this will get people's attention. My dream would be that people would be able to say, those Christians, those Christians, they remind me of the stories that I used to read about when I was in Sunday school when I was a kid. They lived just like Jesus. They looked just like Jesus. Everything that I imagined Jesus would be like, that person is like. I wonder if this is real. I want to read this scripture in John 14, 12. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Get yourself saturated in his presence. Let him fill you with his light and his power. Look how dark that egg's getting. And then go out. Go out and shine so bright that people say, wow, these Christians it looks like they're, they're like reading the Gospels. This is like reading the Gospels, watching that person live. There's miracles and healing, yes, but there's also forgiving one another and washing people's feet who have betrayed them, loving each other with kindness and patience, reaching out to the society's outcasts and marginalized, inviting people to enter into the kingdom of heaven and this new life with Christ, generously and sacrificially giving of oneself. Look at these Christians. They live just like Jesus. The same power. Same obedience, that same love. Church, this is the life that Jesus is inviting you into. This is the life. This is the life that Jesus died for, shed his precious blood for, so that you could have this life now. 
So you can experience it now. He didn't just want us to be these casual observers of, of Christianity. Oh, Jesus, that's cool. Oh, do it again. Do a miracle again. That was cool. Heal another person. Oh, I love watching that. Look at this. Look at this trick. He puts mud on their eyes. Ha <laughs> ha, healed. That's so awesome. Do it again. I, I want to be more than that. He invites us to be more than that, not just observers that are enjoying these nice stories. He actually says, I want you to do it now. I want you to go and lay hands on people and let them be healed. I want you to go and to forgive and to wash people's feet who have betrayed you. I want you to go and to show kindness and love to the marginalized and the people that are looked down upon in your society. I want you to go and do these very things. He always imagined that we would live the same way in the same power. He saw us as the occupying force church that continues to walk in love and power to see his kingdom and to expand it on earth, to join with him to see the kingdom of darkness push back. He, he saw us as the occupying forces. You're like, well, if Jesus won, then why is there all this? Because we were meant to carry that forth to be the occupying force that continued to expand with him the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the Easter story is all about. This is the gospel. Now, when you walked in this morning, you were handed one of these deals right here, these communion cups. Can I just tell you this morning that I, I really long for the day when we can get back to regular communion? And, and like real bread, can we just... Uh, so, but for today, we're going to rejoice. I'm not going to, I sound like I'm complaining here this morning. But go ahead and grab this cup. And hopefully you have, you know, some candy afterwards once you get done with this wafer in here. I'm just joking. So my, uh, that's my last joke on these, okay? You, you see, before the resurrection was Jesus' burial. And before the burial, Jesus was hung on a cross. And before Jesus was hung on a cross. He was with his disciples at that last supper. It's a commitment. It was this, this surrender that he was asking for his disciples. This was the moment of truth for his followers. You see, in Jewish tradition, sharing a cup of wine with someone was symbolic. Let me explain. Some of you guys have heard this before. When a man wanted to propose, he would tell his dad, that he wanted to be able to marry this girl. And so the, 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 the two guys or the two dads, they would get together and they would no, negotiate the terms of this new marriage. And once they had agreed upon that, once they had come to a conclusion of what those terms and agreements of this new marriage was, that the young man's dad would pour a cup of wine, he'd give it to his son, and his son would drink it. And what his son was saying in drinking this cup of wine was a surrender to this woman. I want to give you my life. And then he would take the cup and he would hand it to this woman that he wanted to marry. And if she took the cup and drank it, she was saying, I receive your life and I'm going to surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. And that was the, the, the Jewish Hebrew tradition. So when Jesus is at the Last Supper. He asked his disciples to drink with him. Can you imagine? His disciples realize what's going on. Whoa, this is a proposal. He's asking us to commit to him. He let them know, I'm gonna give my life for you. Will you give yours for me? It's a commitment of surrender. No prenups, it's forever. 
Through our own commitment to Jesus Christ, we surrender our life to him through his death and burial and resurrection, through his victory that brings us salvation and freedom. We are liberated from the fear of death and bondage and sin, and we get to live in this power in Christ. But we must decide to walk through the door. Jesus describes that he's the door. There's only one way to the Father. It's only through him. And it hinges on Jesus in a relationship with him. Now that word, decide, it got my attention a couple weeks ago. And it means this. It literally means, the word decide literally means to cut off. To cut off. It's from the same root word as scissors. And what it is, it's deciding to cut off all other options. Let that sink in. When you get married and you stand at that altar, you are making a decision to cut off all other options. Now, this is what I firmly believe with all my heart is if you want to enter in to the abundant life that Jesus says you can have, it requires some decisions. A decision to cut off all other lovers. A decision to go all in with him. If you want an abundant life in relationship, it requires decision. A decision to be able to cut off all other women or all other men that this one alone I'm committing to. It requires a decision. If you want to have the richness and the fullness at your job, it requires decision. If you want to have the fullness at church, it requires a decision. And I think that so many times we get the illusion that we can be free agents. We can kind of just play the field and keep our options open. And here's, as I watch and observe, people that live like free agents are very lonely people. Because the richness of what God invites us into requires decision. A decision to follow after him. If you want the richness in your marriage, it requires decision. And then you experience this abundant life in your marriage. Decision. And this is what Jesus was inviting his disciples into in that, in that room. A decision. Will you cut off all other idols, all everything else, and go after me?